You might be wondering, what book of the Bible or what topic are we going to be exploring next as a church? And Jeff kind of gave it away already. Uh, But before the holidays, uh, Jeff and I sat down and we pondered, what's what's a nice, easy to talk about, non-anxious, not touchy at all, just a light topic to start the new year with? Oh, I know. That's an easy one we both said at the same time. Let's talk about money. Said no one in history ever, right? Not too many pastors uh, are just gung-ho and excited to talk about money with their church. And if a church is going to talk about money, you have to be pretty strategic on when you do it. Like, you probably want to talk about it when times are good, everyone has plenty, The powers that be are fiscally responsible and the sun is shining. So like never, right? But if you want to avoid talking about a big topic like money in harder times, uh, like after a global pandemic might be a good idea. Rising living costs, maybe a forecasted recession. And yet, money is exactly what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Not just today, not just a little two-week mini-series. No, Jeff and I, as we sat there, loved suffering so much that we decided, you know, it's a great idea. Let's not even put an end date to this series. But dark humor aside, uh, no, Jeff and I don't actually want to talk about money because we love suffering. Uh, Nor do we actually think that it is uh, a light and easy topic to talk about, especially in the times that we're living. And we're fully aware that Um, people in positions of power and influence have often used a platform, a stage, and even a pulpit to somehow manipulate people into giving their money using guilt and shame tactics. And so before we start our series on money, I want to make it abundantly clear what this series is not about. This teaching series is not a reactive manipulation. Imagine your friend invites you to a pub. You arrive and there's lots We jumped ahead. This teaching series is not a reactive manipulation to get you to give more to the church. There is, that's not our name, our our aim at all. But in the same breath, I do think that um, our church finances are really important. And all of us who call this our home church need to consider prayerfully the question, what is my part in contributing and supporting the mission and ministries of my local church? But that question is only a small part of a much bigger reason that we are wanting to dive into a teaching series on money. This series is also not intended to bring shame and guilt on anyone. It is intended to encourage. And yes, along the way, I think we can expect that it will bring some level of conviction. It's already bringing conviction to my own life as I'm starting to study this topic. But conviction is very different than shame and guilt. This series um, is not a series where Jeff and I come as experts in the field of finances. No, we are very much taking the posture of a learner in this series and inviting you to learn with us. So then let me give you a few big picture reasons why uh, Jeff and I chose to teach on money or why we're choosing to dive into this series. Um, 
One of them, kind of the most obvious one, is just we realize that aside from short offering reflections on a Sunday morning, we as a church have not done an in-depth series on money uh, in the time that either myself or Pastor Jeff uh, have been here. And I think one of the underlying issues, why it's tough for churches to talk about money, is because in our culture, finances are private. They are personal. We don't openly share them. But here's the thing, and it's our second reason for why we want to do this series. The Bible does talk a lot about money, and it does so very openly. And therefore, as a, as a church, we need to learn to be able to talk about it openly and honestly. Uh, Tyler Staten, uh, a thoughtful pastor and follower of Jesus that I sometimes listen to uh, from the U.S., he observes this. He says, taking a survey of the Bible, he says, Jesus talks about money more than any other thing in the gospel, except for the kingdom of God. It's the second most talked about topic that Jesus talks about. Jesus talked about money more than heaven, hell, and eternity. 17 out of the 39 parables of Jesus are about money. The Bible teaches us that money is clearly a discipleship issue. And as a church community, our primary mission is to be disciples of Jesus, right? If you go to our, our website um, on nelsoncovenant.com, on the homepage, you'll see that it says, we're a church of people learning what Jesus means when he said, follow me, right? And if that statement is true of us as a church community, and he did talk a lot about money, then we need to consider seriously the role that money plays in our own discipleship. We recognize that money is something that concerns all of us, right? It's a big part of the human experience. And that means that we carry varying degrees of stress and concern and relationship with money. Whether that be increasing living costs that we're worrying about, a foreseeable recession, increasing mortgage rates, high rent. Some of us are wondering, will we be able to afford helping our kids with their future education? Others are wondering how they'll ever pay off their student loans. Young people wonder if they'll ever be able to afford a home. And some of us, if we're brutally honest, don't really have a really solid handle on how to financially plan for ourselves or how to budget properly. Meanwhile, some are hopelessly laughing at just the idea of a budget or a financial plan because they're just trying to get to the end of the month and pay the bills or figure out a way to get out of credit card debt. Now, if any of those financial stressors, those examples mentioned, is something that you can relate to, you need to know that you're not alone and you're in good company. Again, I am no expert in finances. Many of you should be teaching those sessions, I think. And I don't pretend to have all my decks in a row as it relates to my own finances. Rather, I'm simply becoming increasingly aware that money is a core part of my apprenticeship to Jesus. And I want to learn how to be more intentional with my money as his follower. I want to learn how to be a disciplined steward of our finances, how to not be anxious during financially stressful times. I want to learn how to live from a posture of gratitude with what I have, not entitlement. I want to learn how to live generously with all that I have, 
whether in times of plenty or in need. And so Jeff and I are both on this learning journey in our own lives, and our intent is simply to invite you along and to learn as a community together how to be disciples of Jesus when it comes to our money. Are you guys up for that? All right. So where do we start? Do we start with budgets? Do we start with um, strategies for dealing with debt? Or the age-old question of whether or not we're still required to tithe to our church? I think there's a lot of really good on-ramps we could take uh, to start the conversation on faith and finances. But what I want to do today, before we get into those real practical questions, and we will down the road, we will get into those, I'd like to start today at kind of a 30,000-foot view with a theological theme that runs throughout Scripture, and that is the theme of generosity. And a book that I'm drawing on uh, from this topic uh, on the slide there is called Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. It's by a Croatian theologian uh, by the name of Miroslav Volf. And this has been a very impactful book for me when it comes to the theme of biblical generosity. I highly recommend it. It's this theologian's reflections on scripture and culture, on how do we think about what we have biblically. Um, and so I'll be drawing a lot on, on this book uh, for today's message and some future ones as well. So what is generosity? Well, in the Greek New Testament, the words for generosity refer to giving, sharing, and living open-handed. Living in a posture like this with whatever we have. It is to be unselfish. The opposite of generosity is greed. To live generously is, is to live in such a way that the gifts you have, yes, benefit you and yours, but it also benefits others. So why start with generosity? Well, Wolf gives us kind of three reasons in his book. The first one is simply to know God. And I want to propose that generosity is a core character trait of who God is. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, in that next transition there, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Author and pastor uh, John Mark Comer reflecting on this passage, he says that love and generosity are actually two sides of the same coin. Generosity is a form of love, or love is a form of generosity. The second reason to start with generosity is to know yourself. You and I are created in the image and likeness of God, pages one and two of Scripture. We are meant to reflect His image into the world. And if he is a giver by nature, then it is in our DNA first to be receivers, because we are created, first to be receivers, and then also to be givers. Third, we're diving into generosity to experience a fulfilling life. And in his book, uh, Wolf argues that if you really want to experience a fulfilling life, like the one Jesus promises in the Gospels of John, if you really want to experience that, you and I need to learn the art of giving. He says that giving is the glue that holds communities together. You go to any culture, and what is the glue 
that keeps communities and strengthens communities. It's largely the art of giving, the generosity, and that without it, we will live unfulfilling lives. But he doesn't just make this up from cultural observation. The Bible supports this in many places. And just to name a couple examples, Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. In Acts 20, uh, verse 35, the second half of that verse, the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed there can also be translated as happy. It is more happy to give than to receive. But do we actually believe that? Do I really trust that if I live generously, regularly giving my money away, that I myself will somehow prosper? That I myself will somehow live happier and be blessed? I've struggled to really believe that in my life. I want to believe that. But as is the case with most things in life, what we truly believe is actually revealed more by our actions uh, than by our words, right? This is my debit card. Maybe you're familiar with these. You probably have one in your back pocket or your wallet or purse or man purse or backpack or whatever it is, or linked to your phone. Most of us probably carry these around. And what we do with these says a lot about what we truly believe about money. What we do with these actually has a great deal to show us the state of our discipleship to Jesus. Because Jesus would say things like this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what you invest in is going to reveal what your heart desires and loves and is after. He goes on to say, you can't serve both God and money. The truth is that giving and living generously doesn't come naturally to most of us, myself included. Now, I have come a long way, but, and I'm sure many of you as well in your life, but I recognize that I still have much growing to do in that area. And here's just, just to break the ice, here's some really embarrassing examples of my own difficulty in giving. See, I won't think twice about spending 10 or 12 bucks on a box of donuts for myself at Safeway. But then when I take that same box to the checkout counter and they say, do you want to round up for some amazing cause? I hesitate, right? Now, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but the point is I always hesitate. I rarely hesitate if I want to drop 12 bucks on a box of donuts, right? Or how about paying for monthly subscriptions? Uh, things like Sportsnet or TSN or Disney Plus or whatever your streaming service is, or Spotify, those are pretty easy things to sign up for and 15, 16, 20 bucks will go out of your account every month. And if you're like me, to be honest, I don't really notice that money leaving my account. And yet, when somebody from Compassion Canada or World Vision knocks on my door, suddenly I'm not home, or I suddenly become calculating on what I can afford and what I can't. 
Okay, this is me being super vulnerable. Can anyone relate to any of those hesitations? Are you all just super generous all the time? Okay, thank you. Let's be honest. It's a struggle, right? We're growing. It's a journey. But it's a struggle. Why is giving difficult? Why is it so much easier to spend money on ourselves than it is giving it away to benefit others? Well, I want to talk about three barriers that Wolf mentions in his book. Three main reasons um, why living generously doesn't come easy. The first one, the first barrier to living generously is simply the reality that at the core we are all self-centered. Wolf writes this, he says, no life is worth living without generosity. Yet, from the get-go, we seem to be a self-centered bundle of cravings that screams for satisfactions of needs that appear to go unfulfilled. Every parent with toddlers is like, amen. And we feel threatened from all sides. And he says that's the big fissure in the life of human beings, individually and collectively. There's a yawning gap between deep self-centeredness and true generosity. I think about that Disney movie or Pixar, Finding Nemo. It's like those seagulls who, as soon as they see something, they're all just like, mine, 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 right? And they're never satisfied. The second barrier to generosity that we see is just the culture we are shaped by. It's not our fault. It's the culture that we're surrounded by, the culture we live in. Wolf points out that our culture is set up to buy and sell, not to give and receive. And he calls this living in a culture stripped of grace. What does he mean by that? Well, the Greek word for grace is charis. What a beautiful word, right? It's my wife's name. Charis or charis means grace. Grace, by definition, is a gift that is unearned and yet freely given. But we live in a culture where things are generally not freely given, right? Except maybe on a front lawn in a pile of stuff that people no longer want. <laughs> and there are certainly great examples of generosity in our culture. And we as Christians are invited to live into that. But generally, our culture is not set up that way. It's set up to buy and sell. It's set up to negotiate. Right? We sell our stuff to get something in return. We provide our skill or our work for payment. Robert uh, Kuttner, author of a book called Everything for Sale, he says this. He says, the person who lives in this kind of a culture, the person who volunteers time, who helps a stranger, who agrees to work for a modest wage out of commitment to the public good, or who desists from littering even when no one is looking, begins to feel like a sucker in our culture. Now, just to clarify, I am not against fair buying and selling. I'm not against earning a fair wage for your work. That is, after all, how we all make our living. But the problem in our culture is not, is far too often that fairness is not the name of the game, right? Certainly not generosity. Far too often, the name of the game in our culture is power. It's not what's a fair price, it's, how can I get the best deal? How can I leverage my power to squeeze the most out of someone else or something else? The big fish eat the little fish, right? Whether that's in the business world, in politics, in education, and sadly, sometimes even in family. 
A third barrier to generosity is a scarcity mindset. What is your perspective on how things really are? Do you have an abundance mentality or do you have a scarcity mentality? It's the classic example of the water bottle, right? Is my water bottle half full or is it half empty? And all you realists are rolling your eyes and you're like, what difference does it make? Whether I have positive vibes and think this is half full or whether I have negative thoughts and think this is half empty, it doesn't make a difference. The reality is it's about 50% filled and it's not full, right? Ah, but you see your perspective matters a great deal depending what context this bottle is in. Let's paint a couple of scenarios. Uh, most of you know we have an association with a beautiful camp across the lake north of Ryandale called The Harbor. And our friends Mark and Jess Hagen are wonderful hosts that run that camp. So let's pretend you and I are on a retreat and we head out to the camp and we decide to go on a nice hike to Pebble Beach. If you've never been there, it's about half an hour regular speed hike, an hour if you're walking with campers. Um, but let's say we're on this hike and you forgot to bring your water bottle, but I got my half filled water bottle with me. Now, everyone's already like, yeah, well, there's plenty of fresh drinking streams of water. Nope, there's not. The, something died in all the streams of water, right? Uh, it's contaminated, it's scorching hot. You forgot to bring water treatment tablets. This is the only drinkable water in your surroundings. And you are just parched and you're like, Rick, can I please just, just have one drink of your water? My perspective is gonna say a great deal on whether or not I'm gonna be sharing this with you. The context that we're in, I'll say, sure, you can have a drink. And if you know me at all, I'll probably be like, you can keep the bottle because I'm a bit of a germaphobe when it comes to sharing liquids, but you can have a drink. Why do I have that mentality? Well, it's because I know that the generous hosts of the harbor, Mark and Jess Hagen, are just half an hour down the road, and I trust that they have an abundance of clean drinking water, and as soon as we get back to camp, they'll have more water for me, and they'll have more water for you. I have an abundance mentality, and my perspective of reality is that there is enough, and that that perspective frees me up to be generous with what I have in the moment. Scenario two, let's say we're in the exact same setting. We're on the exact same hike. Again, everything's died in all the streams. You can't drink any water. But I don't know the hosts of the harbor camp. In fact, what I've heard, I probably don't trust that they're good towards me or generous. I tend to think it's everyone for themselves out here. Well, then my perspective might be that there's not enough water in this bottle for me and you. Right? I'd be much more inclined to move into self-preservation mode and to just tell you, sorry, good luck. There's not enough. But notice that in both scenarios, I have the exact same amount of water. But what was different was my perspective on reality. And again, perspective is not just thinking about things positively, about sending out good vibes. 
And it's not just about thinking about something negatively or skeptically. That is just wishful thinking. What allowed me to have an abundance mentality in the first example is knowing and trusting that the hosts of the harbor are good and generous people. What led me to have a scarcity mindset in the second scenario is not knowing the hosts of the harbor or perhaps not trusting that they are good and generous hosts of the camp. This water bottle, it's just an illustration, but it represents real things in real life every single day. Your metaphoric water bottle is what you currently have. It's your time, it's your skill, it's your money, your possessions, your energy. And scripture is inviting us to see all of that as generous gift from God. And God is the host of the world. Do you know him and trust him to be generous and good toward you? Just to summarize where we've been today, God is the perfect giver. He has created us in his image to be receivers and givers. Living generously translates, according to scripture, into being blessed, to being happy, to being refreshed. But there are barriers that make it difficult for us to actually believe that and live into that. And these barriers are affected by the fall, right? We are all self-centered at our core. Number two, our culture is set up to buy and sell, not to give and receive. Number three, because of these things, we are prone to having a scarcity mindset. So now that we've identified what some of the big barriers are keeping us from living generously, how do we begin to move from having a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset? If your culture is set up to buy and sell, how do we become people who are radical givers? If it's true that from the get-go we are a self-centered creature, how do we move toward true generosity? Like Paul says to the churches he encourages to give, not out of compulsion, not out of obligation or guilt, but joyfully. How do we, how do we bridge that gap? How do we move towards true generosity? We're going to dive into a lot more on that later in this series. So we're not packing it all in today. So come back, stick with us. But for today, I think the starting point, just the starting point to begin to bridge the gap is the invitation to come and know and trust God as a generous host. Only then can we begin to be freed up toward living generously. To end this morning's uh, message, I, I want to show a Bible project video that I thought dovetails perfectly with what we've been talking about this morning. So we'll end with that. I'll come up and pray, and then uh, we'll have a response song. Imagine your friend invites you to a pub. You arrive, and there's lots of people, decorations, food, and drink. There's enough for everyone. 
When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host, and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends, and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be done. And so that's what Jesus was doing.